Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Rediscover our fascinating city this summer on a walking tour from the Chicago Architecture Center, now open and adhering to public health safety standards. Our entertaining and expertly trained docents will guide you through the Chicago you've been longing to explore. From magnificent downtown architecture to awe-inspiring neighborhood gems. If it's worth seeing, we'll take you there. Get tickets at architecture.org forward slash tours. The stories of the city begin at the CAC. Before we get going, I got to turn the air off on my in my apartment. I can hear it. So Ben, stall, stall. Tell everybody what's going to happen today. Well, Maya will be here. Well, she won't literally be here, but Maya will be with us. She'll be talking Chicago politics, budget politics, school politics. I may ask her about the Republican Convention Day. I don't know if she's going to want to talk about that, uh, but I may ask her about that. And then later in the day, Eddie Armstrong will be here, a former state representative from. Uh, the great state of Arkansas, one of Dennis's favorite states. I love uh, it. And he'll, and he'll <laughs> so anyway, I guess that's enough stalling. Can I sing a song? No, go Razorbacks. You can sing the song of the day in moments here. Uh, no. Your Ben Jarofsky show for Tuesday, September 1st. Happy September, everybody. It's, oh. it's just moments <laughs> away. But before we do this, let's thank the following unions for sponsoring this program. By the way, Ben, nice teamwork, buddy. Unions like the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, their sponsors, as well as the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150. If you're in a union or business and you would love to sponsor the Ben Jarofsky Show, we'd love to have you. All right. Send us an email. BennyJShow at gmail.com. B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J show at gmail.com. And we'll direct you to whoever you need to talk to about that. And of course, today's Ben Jarofsky Show is brought to you by our good friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor. Hey, everybody. Let me tell you about voting by mail pretty cool. Voting by mail ensures equitable access for everyone. Normally, vote by mail applications are filled out online or in person. This creates a burden for people with limited access to transportation or internet services. Disproportionately, the elderly or people of color who are among those at greatest risk from COVID-19. Because of the pandemic, a law was passed in Illinois for November requiring vote by mail applications be sent to anyone who voted in 2018, 2019, or the 2020 primary. This falls short of what is needed particularly since these elections saw low turnout. We need to expand access. Mail-in voting is the best way to ensure everyone's voice can be heard safely. We can help expand voting access in Chicagoland by asking officials to send every eligible voter a vote-by-mail application. So visit votemailchicago.com. 
That's votemailchicago.com for call scripts and a petition. One more time. Vote. V-O-T-E. Mail. M-A-I-L. Chicago. C-H-I-C-A-G-O. Dot com to make sure that every voter in Cook County has safe and equitable polling. That's correct. All right, we have a song of the day request, Ben. Oh, okay. All right, put aside mine for the moment. Hold on, I'm literally putting it aside. I tell you what, there's a good chance you may not know it. If not, you do yours, all right? Okay. All right, our song of the day request comes from Claire. What's going on, Claire? She's listening live at the moment. We thank you so much for doing that. Your song of the day request, Dancing in September. Oh, that's uh, Earth, Wind, and Fire. Dancing in September. Dancing in September. I think that's. I think it's just called September, but whatever. I'm going to sing it anyway. September in September. And now I'm just going to go into that's the way of the world because it's like a whole medley. Earth, Wind, and Fire hits. Okay. Yes. There we go. And now Sun Goddess. Da, 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 da. Now I'm Ramsey Lewis playing the piano. De, 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 de. All right. Just well, a whole thing going down there, D. That was like a tornado. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, Claire says, not bad. So, hey, you got some <laughs> approval there. Wow, man. Thank you, Claire. Thank you, thank you. The blue Mustang is in the mail. We're not giving you that. The Ben Jarofsky Show starts now. Tuesday, September 1st, and still live from my apartment and his attic, this is the Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, it's the return of our Chicago Reader colleague, the one, the only, Maya Duke-Masava. Now your host, the one, and based on that intro, yes, the only <laughs> Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this "Let's Say a Nice Word About Donnie Trump Tuesday," and here's why. Great weekend. Do you have a great? Ah, who's kidding? The weekend sucked. Our president's trying to egg on a race war, and it's How can Tuesday. It be a great weekend. Huh? And it's Tuesday. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Hey, Monday's just a blur to me anyway, D. But you know what, D? I'm going to calm down. Take a delicious drink of water. Just try to settle my nerves a little bit here. Hold on, D. Oh, thank mm. you. Ah, feeling good already. So, you know what? Let's just start. D, you have a good weekend? No. Okay. <laughs> I think you had a good weekend. I think you were prowling around like a little tomcat all over town. <laughs> By the way, ladies and gentlemen, Dr. D's beard is getting longer and longer by the day. Okay. It's like old man river. Anyway, where was I? I don't even know what old man river looks like, but I'll sing the song. Old man river. He keeps, come on D sing with me. He keeps that beard really long. <laughs> wow. I give you credit for knowing the song. I'm going to uh, highlight all the good things that happened this weekend before I get to the bad things. A lot of good stuff in sports. Watch a lot of great basketball. 
Chris Paul last night hit those free throws to win the game. How about Luis uh, Robert of the Chicago Whites? As people think it's Robert, but he calls himself Robert. So let's get it right. Uh, he hit the walk-off. I will now do my Harry Carey imitation. Already, D? Here's the 2-2 fastball. Oh, that's it. Way back. 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 Might be. Could be. It is. Holy cow. Oh, non-sports fans, hang in there with us, please. <laughs> Just had to do that. Oh, and the other thing, I got a phone. I got a new phone. I didn't tell you this. You're kidding. No. Oh, my God. It was very traumatic. I still don't know how to use it. Things like as big as an aircraft carrier. It's the hugest thing I've ever seen. People. My mind is blown right now. For uh, Ben Jarofsky (laughs) Show devotees, since the beginning of the Ben Jarofsky Show, back on (laughs) WCP. Uh, see you later. Uh, ben had an iPhone 5. So this is a huge, a huge day here for Ben Jarofsky. I finally got it because the iPhone, uh, the uh, 5 was uh, falling. I needed a new battery. Okay. So if we, we had a system, like a logical system where you could just go buy a battery for your phone, I would have just bought a battery because I was perfectly happy with this baby phone that I have. Uh, even though Dennis always goes, you know, Ben, my phone is so much better than yours, so much more sophisticated. Uh, and so, but D, they don't sell batteries. So my phone is down <laughs> to like a half hour. It's gasping for breath. <laughs> I'm, I'm talking to someone on the phone. That's the phone. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to get a new one. Have you got a new phone lately, D? It's unbelievable. The stuff they make, the protocol. Apparently, the Apple, there's people who run the Apple store in Chicago have not been following the Donald Trump uh, convention. They think, the Apple people, that the pandemic's still on. Apparently, they haven't read the news that Donald Trump announced. The pandemic's over. I'm glad Apple doesn't pay attention to Donald Trump when it comes to the pandemic. Anyway, I bought the phone. It was very uh, traumatic. I still don't know how it works. I had to go to, I was searching desperately for a millennial to help me put my old data into the new phone. So anyway, got the new phone. So all's well. That was the highlight of my weekend. Now let's get back to the apocalypse. The Republican Party has revealed its true colors, or should I say its true color, and that color is most definitely white. Here's what we've learned over the weekend. This this point has been made several times by Republican operatives, Republican talking heads on TV. And yes, the president of the United States is inching for He's coming closer, closer. We talked about this with David Ferris. Great interview. Folks, you want to download that interview. It was, uh, it was kind of a, for a David Ferris interview, a little dark uh, as he reviewed the Republican convention. But I was predicting at the end that Donald Trump was just going to uh, come out with a full-throated endorsement of Kyle Rittenhouse. And we're heading in that area. Of course, Kyle Rittenhouse is the 17-year-old from Antioch uh, who uh, went up to Kenosha and uh, killed two people, shot him dead. Uh, he's being treated by the Republican Party. Their official line is apparently that he's a patriot who left Antioch to travel across the state lines to keep the peace. And he killed the counter-protesters. Uh, excuse me, he killed the protesters in an act of defense. So he should be released from jail, not charged with murder, probably given a medal. And someone said he should even run for president. I can't remember which commentator said it, but I saw that over the weekend. Meanwhile, the policeman in Kenosha who shot Jacob Blake seven times was totally justified because there was a warrant out for his arrest on some charge of third degree rape. By this explanation, the police should be arresting Trump because he's been charged with rape as well. Eugene Carroll, folks, don't forget. Anyway, the Republican position on all this boils down to this. When it comes to shooting black people, people are always just police are always justified. When it comes to white people, they're always justified to shoot anyone. Got it? That's pretty much the Republican take. 
God, you tell me how that is not a depressing take to have by the major political party, one of the two major political parties in our country, the party that controls the Supreme Court, the Senate, and the presidency. And now, D, comes the part of the show where I want to give Donald Trump a little credit for something. Yes, I saw his interview with Laura Ingraham, one of your favorite media personalities. How'd you know? Uh, (laughs) I just wanted to see if you were paying attention. Uh, And... uh, where she was asking about the shooting uh, in Kenosha. And Trump, it was one of those moments where his mind was just kind of rambling. Sometimes his mind just goes on a little trip and you don't really know where it's gonna land. And he said, he made a, uh, an analogy and he related police who shoot black people to golfers who choke when they're making a putt. And Ingraham, who proudly wears the MAGA hat, is one of Trump's biggest media defenders. Uh, she, uh, she was a little worried about that immediately. Like the, in her brain, you could see her on, on point head going, that won't work because that'll play bad. So she warned Trump about that it's maybe not a good idea to compare shooting a civilian with a golfer missing a putt. And she said, the media will criticize you. And I had a, I had a laugh when I heard that day. Hey, Laura Ingram, you're in the media. Oh, I forget. It reminds me of Lou Holtz's speech at the Republican convention where he blasted the media. Uh, Lou, you want to give back all that money you got as a media analysis on TV? It's like all these right-wingers, they'll take the media's money when they want to be on TV and spouting their spout, but then they want to be able to treat the media like a pariah. The media. (laughs) The media. You're the media! Anyway, as a member of the media, let me say that Trump's choke comment was one of the more, how do I put this, D, uh, sensitive things he's had to say in the subject. It's kind of hard for me to figure out the exact word, so I'm really struggling with this one. But it suggests that there's sort of like this psychological trigger that motivates the police uh, when they confront a black man to lose restraint and lose control and shoot when they might try another approach. Sort of like when a golfer goes to make a putt and he suddenly starts thinking of all the things that could go wrong if he doesn't hit the putt. And I think, and of course then once he does that, he misses the putt. And I think that's what Donald Trump was trying to get at. And I would would have been nice if Ingram had like tried to tease it out of him a little more. What exactly do you mean by that, Donald? Although Lord knows where he would go if she did try to tease it out of him. But no, she's sticking to the talking points. Cops are always right. Black people are always wrong. Cops are always right. Black people are always wrong. Unless they're like one of like the handful of black people who've endorsed Donald Trump, then they're always right. Anyway, now Trump is coming to Kenosha to make peace. He's probably landing as I speak. I have uh, have not been following D. Uh, I happen to think that this is a really bad idea. I think about the only thing that could be worse than sending Donald Trump uh, to Kenosha to make peace is to send Laura Ingram there uh, to make peace. So that's what my thoughts are on that. Meanwhile, in the world of Democrats, one of the highlights of my weekend was listening to Steve Buscemi his endorsement of Joe Biden. I must have listened to this thing 10 times. I sent it to everybody I know, pretty much. I sent it to Dr. D, sent it to my daughters, my wife, my friends. Oh, man, you got to hear this. It was on uh, the Trevor Noah show. So a shout out to the Trevor Noah show, whoever came up with this thing. But Steve, I'm giving Buscemi all the credit because he was a narrator. And now I will do my uh, 
Mr. Bike imitation. Dennis, just play that clip. Does anybody else mix up Steve Buscemi with Steve Gutenberg? I do that all the time. Okay, here we go. <laughs> America is living in a nightmare. A devastating pandemic, an economy in tatters, a culture lost and adrift. Guess what, motherfucker? And overseeing all, a president who threatens to tear the country apart at its seams. Our nation cries out for a great man of history to lead us out of the darkness. But since we don't have one, let's go with this guy. We hold these truths to be self-evident. All men and women created by go, you know the you know the thing. Joe Biden. <laughs> acceptable under the circumstances. All right, that keeps <laughs> Yeah. You know, in short. Oh my goodness. This is the best we can come up with. They just play just just another ten seconds. Just let me hear another ten seconds. I love listening to this thing. Take it away, Steve Gutenberg. Pennsylvania, a state in America. Then his family moved to Delaware, another state in America. It's not the most exciting story for a president, but you know what it is? Constitutionally sufficient. After a childhood doing whatever you do in Delaware, Joe went on to attend the University of Delaware and the Syracuse University School of Law, two schools that are near the top of their states geographically. No, they weren't Harvard, but they were fine. I mean, he's going to be able to read an intelligence briefing. Okay, he goes up. You know, I was a little low, but there's nothing wrong with Syracuse. Anyway, I got a big kick out of that. Buscemi's very... It's Buscemi, Steve Buscemi. And he, as you know, uh, was in The uh, the Great Lebowski, right? You remember that movie, D? The Big Lebowski. Yes, I do. Yes, The Big Lebowski. Thank you for correcting me. I said correct it. So anyway, uh, the point of it all is that Joe Biden is not a perfect candidate, uh, but he's the only candidate we've got. And by the way, over the weekend, I also watched a speech that Bernie Sanders, the guy I voted for in the primary, gave uh, endorsing Biden one more time. Uh, He went out of his way to point out how much he liked Joe on a personal level. Uh, but to also say how great their differences are on many policy issues. And D, he did this for several reasons, in my humble opinion. I will now uh, list those reasons in no particular order. Uh, he wanted to show the world, particularly some of his hardcore Bernie supporters, including one that I happen to be looking at right now, that he is not a complete sellout, that he is not discarding everything he stood for just to make sure that Joe Biden wins and that he is, in fact, um, setting the stages for a post-election showdown where he, Bernie, will be joining AOC and other progressives in Congress and the Senate enforcing, we hope this happens, we hope this happens, a uh, President Joe Biden to do the right thing on policy issues, like just to name one, health care. Okay, so he's setting up the the ideological differences between Joe and himself to say, you know what, as much as I'm going to be working for Joe right now, I'm going to be pressuring him to do the right thing once he's elected. If he's elected, let's God hope he's elected because it's the most important thing in the world right now. And the other thing he's doing. This is really clever. He's trying to offset the Republican attack that Joe Biden is merely a captive of the left, 
that it's like Joe is dangling at the end of the puppet strings and AOC and the rest of the squad are controlling him. You're going to do this. You're going to do that. Even though there's no evidence whatsoever on any issue that that's the case, doesn't matter. It's all part of the Republican strategy to scare America into voting for Donald Trump, particularly white America. In terms of black America, they're just going to try to suppress their vote uh, to keep them from showing up to the polls. That's the strategy. So there you go. Bernie Sanders criticizing Biden to offset that. Not that it's going to work. Bernie, you could blast Joe Biden from now until November. And the Republicans are still going to say he is a captive of the left. Look out. Be scared. Be very scared. It's like a wheel within a wheel, a political game of chess that both sides are playing. Folks, I have to tell you, I never wanted a politician to win so much as I want Joe Biden to win in this 2020 presidential election. Okay, wait a minute. Harold Washington, 1983 against Bernie Epton. Yes, it was probably a tie. But in regards to Joe Biden, I'm going to have to quote J.B. Pritzker. He's not a perfect person. We got a great show today, everybody. Maya Dukmasa will be here. She's all fired up, ready to talk all the political issues of the day, including her article on Chicago Public Schools and Freedom of Information. Get your pencils, get your paper out, take notes. You want to learn how the FOIA law is used as a device to keep you from learning things about what your government is up to? Take careful notes, because Maya's going to lay it all out. Uh, and But before we do that, the young man from Alton. The man that Maya calls Dr. Doobie with the news. I'm not a perfect person. <laughs> Sorry about that. Should have done that a little earlier. You know what I mean? Mm. Oh, well, <laughs> it's good. It's all good. Better late than never. Hey, how's it going, everybody? Name's Dennis, not Dr. Doobie. Let's find out what's happening in Chicago and or Illinois this week. Ben, our Chicago mayor, had a recent change of heart. More on New Leaf Lorian moments. But first, surprise, we have a breaking story involving political corruption in the state of Illinois. Also, surprise, no one's surprised. Ex-Cook County Commissioner Jeff Tobolsky pleaded guilty today in federal court in Chicago to committing extortion and filing a false tax return. Tobolsky admitted to taking part in an extortion scheme involving a McCook police officer, a restaurant owner, and Tobolsky's role as McCook Liquor Commissioner, where he also served as mayor. Prosecutors said he also engaged in other acts of extortion and bribery as a Cook County commissioner, and he is cooperating with investigators, and this is according to his plea agreement. All right. Man, there is so much corruption and scandal coming out. It's like that little corner of town. They used to talk about this all the time when we were back in the studio. But folks, as much as I've spent my life condemning Democrats for their corrupt ways in Chicago and Cook County, as much as I have been known to rant and rail against the Democratic machine, as many columns as I have written in the 80s and the 90s and the O's denouncing all powerful Democrats. I'm not going to join the chorus, D. Uh-uh. No, no, no. I'm officially not joining the chorus to sing guilty, 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 guilty. That's the chorus singing guilty. I was <laughs> trying to do the hallelujah chorus, but I couldn't think of how it goes. Hallelujah. There you go. Guilty, guilty. Nope, not going to do it. 
Sorry, D, not going to do it to the Republicans denounce Trump. Now, I know what you're thinking, Dennis. Ben, come on. That's not right. You should always take the right stand. You should do it because it's right. Not just you shouldn't do it because other people don't do it. Well, actually, I was thinking in about 30 minutes, you'll forget about it and do it anyway. (laughs) Actually, what I just said was like a Joe Biden thing. I started to say something and then I forgot where I was going and I don't know where I ended up. It's like. You shouldn't do it because it's the right thing. You should do it because it's the wrong thing. Huh? What? Play the record player. Play the radio. Make sure the television, excuse me, make sure you have the record player on at night. The the, the phone, make sure the kids hear words. I love Joe Biden and I plan to vote for him as many times as I want. Uh Uh-oh, here comes Trump. Voter fraud. Anyway, where was I? So yeah, they're corrupt. Yeah, they're sleazy. Yeah, they practice transactional politics. Yes, it's been going on forever. But I am not joining the chorus until I hear some Republicans denounce Donald John Trump and his corruption. Tribune, that's you. I want to see editorials on my desk tomorrow denouncing Donald John Trump. Come on out from under the desk. John Castle, I'm scared. I got my mega hat on. Sorry, D, not gonna do it, okay? I'm sorry. All these Republicans, they're, whenever Joe Biden does anything wrong, they denounce him. This is terrible. This is a disgrace. This is a violation of all ethical standards. But not one word about Donald Trump. So, D, not gonna do it. Sorry. You right. can't make me do it. You can't. I'm just not going to do it. I'm going to sit here with my hands folded and look at the screen and say, not going to do it. Yes, they're corrupt, but I'm not going to join the chorus. You're you're turning a new leaf, too. Uh, In all, Tobolsky admitted to taking more than $250,000 in bribes and extortion payments, either as a county commissioner or as mayor, including one instance where he took part in shaking down a McCook restaurant owner who wanted to hold events with alcohol. Oh, we must have read the old Ed Burke playbook, huh, Ben? (laughs) Can I wait? Can I break from what I said? No, no. I, I can't denounce that. No, you think he's oh, awesome, right? According to what you just said. Can I can I contradict what I just said already? I mean, I know you said a half hour. I'm already down to two minutes. <laughs> God, bleep those Democrats. God, bleep you. Uh, I devoted my best years to your party. I voted for you year after year after year, and you're so sleazy. Remember, it was Ed Burke who uh, shook down a Burger King in his ward. Good guy. Uh, (laughs) And he's still the alderman. He cast a vote in the city council just last week because the enlightened citizens of the 14th Ward go, I think we'll reelect them. (laughs) Sorry, Dave. Now to, I wasn't going to join the chorus. I know. But old habits are hard to break. I feel myself. I go, I'm going into Danny Mahopolis country. Damn those Democrats. Sorry. I'm just going to help you out and continue along here. All right. Uh, Tobolsky did not attend court in person due to the pandemic, but he appeared via a video feed from a Ooh. conference room at his lawyer's office. So was he wearing pants? No one knows. <laughs> Was it Google Meet or Zoom, D? I need to know. (laughs) Got a feeling it was Zoom. Everybody loves Zoom. They love Zoom. Even Tobolsky, you know, I got to say, this Zoom really works. (laughs) By the way, I want $200 right now. What a crook. (laughs) 
Shout out to Pat Rod on the live stream chat. He says, geez, Ben sounding like a dying Cub fan giving his last request. <laughs> That's a great song, Steve Goodman. I'm now going to sing it. Ooh, do, 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 do. I can't actually remember oh, the wow, words. That was... <laughs> Wait, here's the song I was going to sing. Dum, 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 bidu, bidum. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hey! Oh, boy. <laughs> For... <laughs> For those Sorry, for those wondering, no new updates on Madigan Gate. The time utility giants ComEd admitted to arranging jobs, arranging contracts, and arranging payoffs to Democratic Illinois House Speaker Michael Madigan and his associates. Well, there is one update. I guess it depends on what your definition of an update is. Democratic State Rep Will Gazzardi has still not called on Madigan <laughs> to step down and resign. Come on, Gazzardi. Wait, hold on, D. He's he's under my uh, desk with John Cass. They're playing cards, and Cass is like, uh, "I'll denounce Trump if you denounce uh, Madigan." And wait, here's Cassardi. Uh, how about we just pretend the neither of them exists? Oh, good idea. Well, there they are under my desk. What wow. an unusual combination, uh, Will Cazard. He's tall, man. I, I was going to say, I hope no. that's a tall desk. I've seen it. Did you get a new desk? Because that desk you have, I don't think no, Cazard would fit under it. Oh, boy. Moving on, Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot. This little light of mine, <laughs> I'm going to let it shine. What? <laughs> Lori Lightfoot quotes, D, what would I do without your Lori Lightfoot quotes? I was kind of depressed when the show began, thinking about Donald Trump going to Kenosha to make peace. God help us all. But you just lifted my spirits with more corruption stories about sleazy Cook County Democrats and Lori Lightfoot quotes. Oh, you're I welcome. You're do it. I'll take the car. I'll throw you out. Well, we'll get there. Uh, okay, it's my favorite Lori Lightfoot. While, ahead, while we were away, Mayor Lightfoot held a Monday press briefing. Uh, what did she talk about? Well, let's unpack it all and find out. Right now, in my face, I have two stories from the hardest working woman, scratch that, human, in the Chicago Sun-Times building, Fran the Woe Man Spielman. The first is all about Mayor Lightfoot's 2021 budget. Mayor Lightfoot on Monday blamed rising coronavirus case levels in Chicago and two rounds of looting for a dramatic increase in the city's budget shortfall to a combined $2 billion for this year and next the seismic disruption of Chicago's economy is so great, Lightfoot called the 2021 spending plan a, quote, pandemic budget that can be balanced only with replacement revenues from Washington, concessions from city unions, and new revenues that just might include, and homeowners, hold your ears, the dreaded property tax increase. <laughs> Always threatening with that. Every man. But anyway, uh, for weeks after the shutdown, Lightfoot insisted Chicago's diverse economy was well positioned to weather the storm of increased costs and declining revenues tied to the pandemic. On April 7th, the mayor changed her tune, acknowledging a mass a massive shortfall that might require raising taxes. Two months later, she declared the stay at home shutdown of the Chicago economy had blown a $700 million hole in her precariously balanced 2020 budget, and she refused to rule out a property tax increase. Then came Monday's comprehensive financial analysis with its higher shortfall estimates, $800 million for 2020 and $1.2 billion in 2021. Ben, I'll read the quote from Lightfoot, then you weigh in, all right? 
Mm-hmm. Light, oh boy, <laughs> don't sound too excited. Lightfoot, I'm just writing my property tax bill. Go ahead, D. Lightfoot said, quote, our rising case levels have hampered our city's economic recovery. Restaurants, bars, hotels, entertainment venues of all sizes, from small independent clubs to large concerts and tours, conventions and tourism hotels are still hurting because COVID-19 is still here and on the rise. Also affecting the recovery was looting and damage to our businesses that occurred three months ago and again more recently. The damage done was not just about shattered windows and lost inventory. The criminals who broke into stores helping themselves to someone else's property shattered hopes and dreams and confidence in Chicago as a place that can sustain lives and livelihoods. Fear begets fear. Wait, that was Lori Lightfoot said all that? Yeah. That was a riff from Lori? That was a Lori riff. All right. Uh, before we go further, let me just make one a brief correction. Yes, Fran Spielman is a very hardworking reporter, one of the hardest working reporters I've ever seen. But come on, D. Show some love for Tommy Shuba. That guy's covering every freaking thing, okay? They had him up in Kenosha for crying out loud. He's getting there. He's almost on France status. Tommy, do join Shuba, all right? That pound for pound, the hardest working man in Chicago journalism. Better don't have time to talk right now. I got another story to find. All right, guys. The biggest joke of that was the line about the precariously balanced budget. These are games, games people play. We've talked about it many times. I gotta gotta bring Kenny Davis back, D. Kenny Davis, a longtime journalist in Chicago, the host of the Kenny Davis show that was on uh, cable TV, public access TV. It was not called the Kenny Davis show by anyone but me, but that's what the show is in my mind. Anyway, uh, one of our favorite topics is to talk about the budget games that mayors have played. Uh, really studied is the the I guess the maestro of the budget game was Richard M. Daly, and the yes. They would always say, oh, the budget's balanced. We're fiduciary wizards. And you can thank us right now, Chicago. And, uh, you know, depending on the time of the year, you know, how close they were to an election, depending on how much money they needed, there was a tax hike. Uh, They try to limit the tax hike. They have this uh, obsession about limiting the property tax, as Dennis pointed out. So they're not afraid to raise like a slap a user fee on something like cable TV or your phone bill, uh, more fines and fees and red light cameras, et cetera, and so forth. Anything to avoid uh, the property tax. Uh, And then lo and behold, at the end of the year, oh, I guess the budget wasn't balanced and we're going to have to raise taxes more. Listen, there's no doubt about it. The pandemic has slammed all of us hard. So it absolutely has caused problems for Lori Lightfoot uh, in terms of keeping the books even. How much? I don't know. At the risk of sounding tremendously cynical, Dennis, and you're going to be shocked when I say this, and I know you're going to be a little disappointed, I don't really believe everything, how about that, (gasps) that a mayor tells us when it comes to budgets, nor do I believe everything a governor tells us when it comes to budgets, nor do I believe everything a president tells you when it comes to budget, because it's games they play, people, political games they play to motivate you to do certain things. Uh, I will tell you this as a property taxpayer, 
I don't know how much more property taxes we can afford to pay. Uh, Dennis is a renter, and there's a lot of renters out there who, like Dennis, don't realize the impact of the property tax because they've never seen one. They've never had to pay one. But I'm telling you right now, folks, they generally get passed on to you in the form of higher rent. So everybody's going to pay for it one way or another. I think that the ultimate solution in this time is more money from the federal government and before Darren Bailey and the other Republicans in the state of Illinois go, oh, my God, I can't believe he said that. Let me remind you that when it came to bailing out the farmers uh, so that they would be placated, even uh, in the face of Donald Trump's trade war with China, there was plenty of money uh, to be sent their way the reality is we are in a crisis and you know it's funny donald trump and the republicans love to use chicago uh as a pinata to bash for their political purposes uh johnny canizera the head of the fraternal order police is their local they're like their local trump leader in this the most prominent voice in this venture, always bashing the Democrats. They're doing that. That's how they're going to win re-election if they win re-election, by saying those Democrats can't do this, that, anything. Well, why don't you help us out? Send us some money. And I know what you're going to say, D. I can see that mind of yours racing. I can see it. Oh, Ben, how can they give money to Democrats when Jeff Tobolowski or whatever his name is just pleaded guilty? Oh, like Republicans don't plead guilty all the time, huh, D? Well, they don't have anything to say about that, do you? Dennis wasn't going to say any of this, oh, ladies and gentlemen. Wait, wait. Using him as a device. <laughs> so th- this is my way of saying that Lori Lightfoot, <clears throat> there's going to be some juggling here, folks. There's going to be some pretending that the budget is balanced, but it's not really balanced. You're going to find a whole bunch of money in the TIF fund to move it. You watch that. They go, oh, look what we found. Hey, <laughs> funny. I didn't know that the hundreds of millions of dollars were just sitting there. Uh, and they're going to paper over and hope that Joey Biden is elected and that the feds can kick in somebody to bail them out uh, come next year. So that is my prediction of the games people play. Night or day, it's just like magic. Games people play. Hey, five, four, forty-five, heading for the subway. Hey, is your window open? Uh, no. Okay. I closed my window. Yes, well, you heard the train go by? That one was barreling through. <laughs> I was like, I got a schedule to keep. <laughs> All right. France article continues to close the gaping. What? <laughs> okay. You just drink drank it. some water. <laughs> well, it was delicious. Okay. Keep your feelings to your water uh, to yourself here. France article continues to close the gaping hole in her 2020 budget. Lightfoot said she plans to leverage funding from the first round of federal stimulus funds, achieve another $100 million in savings from debt refinancing and Ooh. unspecified borrowing, and order another round of unspecified cuts. Next year's pandemic budget will depend on assistance from the federal government in the form of what she hopes will be a second round of stimulus funds to replace the lost revenue. Lightfoot said, quote, we need a bipartisan solution. We cannot let the policymakers in Washington, D.C. fiddle while our country burns. Lightfoot said, uh, she said this uh, vowing, uh, vowing to offer 
contingencies if the pre-election stalemate continues. We will also need our fair share of revenue from Springfield, starting with fully funding the local government distributive fund. We can work together to fully fund LGDF and avoid sending us unfunded mandates. And we must find real solutions to the pension crisis and make sure all of the funds are sustainable for years to come. Yeah, pay your pension bills. That's the real solution. By the way, I didn't know that was coming. Everything I said was proven true. In the quotes that you read, D, I feel like I saw the future before it happened. Whoa, that's really remarkable. Yeah, that's what they're doing. That's what she's doing, ladies and gentlemen. She's praying that Joey B is elected. Please. I I think Lori Lightfoot may want Joe Biden to be elected president almost as much as I do, which is a lot. But wait, there's more. During the same press briefing, Mayor Lightfoot surprisingly addressed that she's planning to change her political discourse. Say goodbye to the former. We will shut you down. (laughs) We will cite you. And if we need to, we will arrest you and we will take you to jail. I want an answer. It's not something you ignore. I think you're 100% full of shit. I won't just turn the car around. I'm going to shut it off. I'm going to kick you out. And I'm going to make you walk home. And get ready to say hello to a mayor that will tell you that you're 100% full of awesomeness and will plan to not only keep you in the car, but maybe even let you control the music, huh? On to the... That was good, D. That was really good. On to Fran Spielman, article number two. Mayor Lori Lightfoot on Monday acknowledged the role she has played in widening Chicago's political divide and vowed to do her part, as she put it, quote, change the tone of our discourse. Lightfoot famously told President Trump that she had two words for him, a phrase that begins with an F and ends with you. (laughs) She similarly unleashed a profanity-laced tirade that you just heard against Alderman Ray Lopez of the 15th Ward when Lopez accused her administration of being caught flat-footed by the first round of looting sparked by the death of George Floyd at the hands of Minneapolis police. She's been embroiled in a cold war with the fraternal order of police that turned into a deep freeze when the outspoken John Catanzaro was elected as president. In their most recent battle, Lightfoot sent Catanzaro a series of text messages calling him a, quote, cartoon character, a clown, and a total fraud after he wrote a letter to President Trump asking for federal help to stop the violence in Chicago. As she wrapped up her Monday speech devoted mostly exclusive to finances, Lightfoot looked her thin-skinned self squarely in the mirror. Fran's words, (laughs) not ours, all right? Lightfoot looked her thin-skinned self squarely in the mirror and vowed to do better. Lightfoot said, quote, The thing that has me most concerned is, increasingly, we seem to have lost the ability to talk to each other, and our ability to work together toward common goals is becoming increasingly limited. The discussion has moved from, how can we work together, to, how can we score points? We are losing the ability to see other people's perspectives. Too many of us ascribe the worst motives to anyone who does not agree with 100% of our beliefs. Lightfoot said it's time to, quote, change the tone of our discourse, and there is no better place to start than the budget process. (laughs) She continues saying, when I say we, that includes me as well. I need to push myself harder to work with people who I do not agree with and who do not agree with me, she said in a rare moment of self-criticism and reflection. 
She continued saying, if you're focused on creating a better tomorrow for all of our residents, then I will be even more intentional in finding common ground with you. Reach out to me and I will do the same. Lightfoot said she's proud of what she's accomplished during her first year in office, but that there is more that she must do, quote, as a person who loves this city and its people, as a neighbor, a friend, and a mom. I want my daughter to see her mom as a person of strength and great character, a person who is a fearless advocate for those who were locked out from access to power and resources for far too long, a person of empathy and with an open mind and compassionate heart. While I've worked hard to model the behavior I want our young people to emulate, I know that I must do more. I hope that all people of goodwill in this city will join me. Ben Jarofsky, will we join her? Or I'll phrase the question better. Will she join us? I don't know about that. Dude. You know, <clears throat> I read that story. It was interesting. Uh, the examples did not include the Chicago Teachers Union. Uh, maybe I'm just a little sensitive on this issue, but let's see. You know, they pointed out uh, that Lori had negative things to say about Donnie Trump. Uh, that she had negative things. Uh, she cursed out uh, Raylo, good friend of the Ben Jarofsky show, I might add. Uh, and uh, that she is no big fan of Johnny uh, Catanzara, uh, the head of the Fraternal Order of Police. But what she didn't point out is that she has never really had anything nice to, pay, is to say about the Chicago Teachers Union. And it's an interesting thing. Because do you, I'm, I'm now going to steal an idea uh, that I got from Dennis a couple of years ago. So sorry, D, I'm taking your idea, but well, I'm giving you credit for it at all least. Right, well. All right, well. When it comes to like all the institutions in Chicago and all the unions in Chicago and just like all the little branches of civic Chicago, like the one group that seems to be on the outs are lefties. Like, you know, everybody has got a tolerance for police to a certain degree they got tolerance for this any business uh entity you know you give a little break to them the civic uh the civic groups downtown you know aldermen so they're like saying yeah we gotta be nice but not a word about the ctu and the ctu is probably the loudest and most organized voice on the left uh in chicago and so as such, the powers that be, by and large, agree with efforts to what? Uh, treat them like pariahs, treat them as unreasonable. I would say that most people in the city of Chicago agree with the platform of lefties in the C2B, more, a fair redistribution of money, a fair taxation. But no, when it comes to implementing them, we're very much controlled by the powers that be, and they treat the teachers union like pariahs. That's the best word for it. What did you say, D, about the teachers union once way back when they're like the Tupac of Chicago politics? And that what you said? And that's kind of like they're the outsiders. They don't get invited to the parties. So it's really interesting to hear all the list of people that Lori's been mean to and they don't mention the teachers union. Well, it's probably because they think she's right about the way they deal with the teachers. So I'm hoping... Uh, it's, I got mixed feelings in this one, D. As the host of a podcast, I must admit, I do, <laughs> I do get a kick out of when Lori loses it. You know, it is kind of funny. Yeah, no, great uh, content. Also, 
It's great. Thank you, Lori. So, Lori, you know, don't go too far with this, all right? Uh, Mayor Lightfoot, uh, I, is that my phone? Wow, someone's calling me. Oh, uh, awesome. And, uh, but I also realize, uh, you know, uh, oh, and I also know that you're very popular in Chicago because people in Chicago love a tough mayor. And so they may pretend like, oh, this rhetoric, well, I don't know. It's just so inappropriate. Can't we all get along? But they love it. They will always vote. Oh, that mayor speaks her mind. I like her. They like tough mayors. They like tough presidents. They like they like fighting and negativity. Let's be honest. Negativity sells. So I have a hard time believing that, A, the people in Chicago want you to drop it, and, B, you have it within you to drop it because you seem like you like to throw a punch every now and then. But I will believe it if I hear that you give a phone call to one SDG, Stacey Davis Gates, uh, the uh, public face of the Chicago Teachers Union, and you've never had a nice thing to say about Stacey Davis Gates. And everybody that I know who knows you is always telling me how bad Stacey Davis Gates is. That's something I always put up a bed. You don't know the real Stacey Davis Gates. I'm like, I'm not Stacey Davis Gates. No, you don't really know. So I'll believe that it's a new day in Chicago when the lefties are brought in. How about that, D? Be nice to lefty day. How about that, huh? <laughs> I don't think so. It's like, we hate left. Oh, yeah, be nice to the Fraternal Order Police and be nice to Raylo and be nice to Trump, but beat those lefties. I uh, when I see... It's not something you ignore. I think you're 100% full of shit. <laughs> yes, Lori. <laughs> I don't know, D. If she ends that, I will miss that Lori like Brianna on the live stream chat says, so which PR person wrote this for Lori? Yeah. <laughs> You're right. They probably did a poll. Actually, if they did a poll, Brianna, my bet is, oh, they really like you on the north side, Mayor Lightfoot, no matter what you say and what you do. Jay Marie asked a great question on the live stream chat. Jay Marie, what's happening? Always appreciate you listening. Uh, she says, so does this mean Lori is going to allow protesters on her block again? No, oh, come on. No. Negatory with the protesters. Okay. You know, that's not. Yeah. She's going to go out and hug the protesters. Let's say something nice about each other. Who was it that went out? I think it was Miguel Devaya. I give him credit. The uh, president of the Board of Education there were protesters outside of his home. And he came out and he asked them, could they lower the racket? Because I think he said his mom was trying to sleep, which I thought was a really honest moment. You know what I'm saying, D? It's like 80-something-year-old mom was trying to sleep. I, I, I don't know. I guess I still have a, a soft spot in my heart for Miguel Devay. I thought that was pretty cool that he did that. And before we get to our last story here, Fred on the live stream chat, he brings up an interesting point here. We'll ask you, Ben. Uh, let's uh, look back in time here. Uh, Fred says, in hindsight, Tony Preckwinkle might have run all of this a little better, even though she's not known for her tact either. What do you think? I don't know. That's a tough one, uh, Fred. That's a really uh, tough one. I've never seen uh, Tony Prequinkle. You put it best yourself, Fred. You answered your own point when you said tactful. And I, I just recall I was turned off on Tony Prequinkle. This goes back to the hideout interview we did where she just avoided every single question we asked. Now, I know what our listeners are going to come right back and say. 
I can hear you right now before you say it. Yeah, but Ben, that's Lori answered all your questions and then violated pretty much every <laughs> You got a good point. Okay, I can't argue with that. But when you ask about tact, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe this crisis would have transformed Tony Parkwinkle. We'd have seen a side of her we've never seen. It's hard to say. Um, but uh, I did not. I would not have predicted that based on the campaign she ran initially. If you recall, Tony Perkwinkle's campaign was very much an establishment campaign because she felt that she was she was so confident in the early days. She thought she might win without a runoff or that she'd end up against someone like uh, Bill Daly. And then come on, D. I mean, if you're a progressive, who are you going to vote for, Bill Daly or Tony Preckwinkle? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, Light, so. Lightfoot came right into the hideout with uh, that hipster two-hearted ale beer and just kind of fooled oh, everybody, sh- huh? Shaw, sh- man. Ben, I'm with you 100% on those tips. Ben, I'm with you 100% on that Lincoln Yards. Mick, you are so correct in everything you say about police reform. You know, I, well, what are you going to do, D, huh? All right, and finally, a story that Ben wanted to riff on. In fact, Ben told me to, quote, give him the ball on this story. (laughs) He loves basketball, guys. The following comes from the Chicago Sun-Times editorial board. The headline reads, Emmett Till's home, a launching pad for the civil rights movement, deserves landmark status. A humble two-flat at 64th and St. Lawrence played a central role in one of the most important moments in U.S. history, and there's an effort to keep it from being lost before most people even realize it's there. Emmett Till, the 14-year-old Chicagoan whose 1955 murder at the hands of Mississippi racist sent shockwaves around the world, lived on the second floor of 6427 St. Lawrence Avenue with his mother, Mammy, at the time of his death. Last Thursday marked the 65th anniversary of Till's murder, and now Till's family and architectural preservations are renewing a push to win city landmark status for the building, citing its link to history. Their work could pay off this week. On Thursday, the city's commission on Chicago landmarks will decide whether to grant the building preliminary landmark status. We urge the commission to vote in favor of the Till home. Landmark status would further honor Emmett and Mamie Till's tragic but critical role in 20th century America. And given that the building has fallen into despair, landmarking would help protect the two flat from demolition or ham-fisted renovation attempts. The building must be saved and put into action and to make that happen the city must throw its protective arms around it yeah i uh, asked dennis uh to uh, read this story because i realized that this what i'm about to say is not a top of the list of the pressing issues that we face as a society uh with uh, donald trump trying to uh, pit black people against white people uh in order to win re-election but i must say this uh, Chicago has done a terrible job, in my humble opinion, at preserving its uh, its historical legacy. And uh, in fact, the, the attitude in Chicago, particularly, by the way, particularly in black neighborhoods on the south and the west side. And I humbly believe this, that the attitude uh, in Chicago is like, you know what? Can we just get rid of this history? Can we just tear down these buildings? Can we just move these people out? Can we just pretend it's like this didn't exist? Uh, this is far greater than Emma Till. But Emma Till, D, when I saw this headline, when I saw this story, and I think this is the second one that was in the bright one. Uh, so I've been thinking about this over the weekend. I can't believe that it wasn't a landmark already. I mean, Emma Till, the story of Emma Till is one of the most, what, significant, tragic 
stories about race relations in this country uh, that exists. It's it it seems to grow uh, in. It seems to resonate every year with greater importance and significance. Uh, and he is such a historical figure. His name, his image, his the the, the story of how he was tortured and killed, uh, the circumstances of his death in Mississippi at the hands of racists, the way those racists were let go. Uh, it just speaks so much about our history in the country and the struggle we've had just to have anything resembling a decent race relationship between black and whites. And the idea that Chicago already uh, hadn't turned it into a landmark, already hadn't preserved it. They were going to lose this building. I think of like other significant buildings in Chicago, uh, Fred Hampton's, the apartment where Fred Hampton, the building that Fred Hampton lived in, in uh, December of 1969, where he was killed, that should be preserved. I think that should be a museum. Uh, what else? What about Martin Luther King on the west side of Chicago? Martin Luther King came to the city of Chicago in 1966 uh, in order to bring the civil rights movement from the south to the north and concentrate on economic justice. This is a history that Chicagoans are not proud of, and so they kind of sweep under the carpet. He was, to put it mildly, was not treated well by white Chicago. Mayor Richard J. Daley, who was the all-powerful mayor at the time, wanted nothing to do with Martin Luther King uh, and tried to subvert and undercut him at every step of the way. Uh, and then when Martin Luther King finally settled on a strategy of marching in white neighborhoods for uh, open housing, he was mess- met with fierce resistance. Mobs of white people threw a rock at him, hit him in the head. This is the man of peace. This is the greatest crusader for brotherhood in our country. And this is how he was responding. And there was no looting at the time to blame on. Just saying that. It's just pure hatred. And so I just think, like, his old apartment should be preserved. I think it's been demolished, D. Don't quote me on that. But we just continually destroy... uh, all these landmarks that are linked to our past, probably because we don't want to confront the past. That's the big problem. So when I saw this Emmett Till thing, I just wanted to, please, Chicago, do the right thing, preserve the building, uh, turn it into a museum. You know, do for that building what uh, folks in Memphis did uh, with the motel where Dr. King was killed, turned it into a civil rights museum. So that's my uh, spiel for the day on this one. And there's so many other landmarks uh, in Chicago, particularly in the south and west sides, that should be preserved. But Chicago's got that relentlessness. Let's just move them out, tear it down, rebuild it, and forget it ever happened. Yeah, it sounds and like by a, the way, oh, go ahead. What's that? No, go ahead. No, by the way, until the pandemic, that's what was happening. I mean, development in Chicago has kind of slowed up uh, since the pandemic, but... Ultimately, uh, that's what the city planning process was all about. Just plow them over and move on. Go ahead, young man. Well, it sounds like uh, this uh, may be a time for an interview with our preservation specialist, one Andrew Schneider. Have him on yeah. to talk about this. Absolutely. I, that is a, man, why didn't I think of that? That is a great idea. 
And uh, also, too, uh, live stream chat. And if you're listening uh, on the download, p- uh, please feel free to send us an email with some, uh, some suggestions here because uh, myself and Andrew Schneider, we're actually uh, in the works of putting a preservation podcast together. Uh, Andrew Schneider knows so much about the history of this city and its buildings and everything. So uh, what we're going to do, we're trying to put a preservation podcast together. Uh, we're, we have a few ideas for names. If you know of any good names, if you can think of some good Good names for a preservation podcast. Uh, please weigh in. Uh, live stream chat. I'm looking at you. Uh, and also send us an email, Show at gmail.com. B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J show at gmail.com. Uh, Andrew Schneider, he's, we've got a few interviews in the can. We're working on it uh, right now. So uh, it should be coming out very shortly. But we're kind of going back and forth on a name for a preservation podcast. Please feel free to weigh in. And Ben, let's get Andrew Schneider back on the show soon. Absolutely. Well, he was, uh, we had him on the show. Uh, we dropped an interview with Andrew when we were on vacation, uh, but I think he should be a monthly guest. He's, he's outstanding, knows his stuff. Uh, and uh, by the way, and also, I, as I said to Andrew when I had him on the show, we're letting the cat out of the bag. <laughs> cat oh, wow. That was good. Uh, I, I thought there was a cat in your, part, in your uh, attic. What can I say, man? I, I'm just a master, Ooh. rich little. Hang uh, tight, uh, millennials. Uh, Dennis. He's always he always asked me not to reveal all the secrets he's got, but he's cooking up quite a few podcasts that sound outstanding, and I can't wait till uh, I get the opportunity when he gives me the green light uh, to tell everybody about it. But let's just say he's got a few tricks up his podcasting sleeve. Yeah, and it's a short sleeve that I'm wearing here, so not too many, I guess. You know what I mean? All right, so that's our local news, guys. Uh, Feel free to weigh in, live stream chat. Keep it coming here. We'll probably read your comments here before we roll out of the program. Send us an email at Benny J Show, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J Show at gmail.com. Also, you can find us on social media, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J Show as well. We would love to hear from you. All right, don't go anywhere, everybody, because when we come back after this Michael Girardi hit, the return of our good friend and Chicago Reader colleague, Maya Duke Masava. It's the Ben Jarofsky Show. We are live from my apartment and also Ben's attic. <laughs> Wait, I'm ready. Move on past you. 
just turn the car around. I'm going to shut it off. I'm going to kick you out, and I'm going to make you walk home. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture. Food. Arts and entertainment. Weekly concert listings. Weekly event listings. The environment. Travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader. Free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. number two of your Ben Jarofsky show for Tuesday, September 1st is brought to you in part by the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150, and the Chicago Federation of Labor. Benny J, take it away. The legendary Maya Dukmasova is with me right now. I can see her. She can't see me. That's because I have an old computer without a camera. But Maya has a young computer. And I can see her. Maya, welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me. Uh, All right. There's much to talk about, including her sensational article, which I already talked about last week, but we'll talk about it again. Uh, I was falling over about the budget blues. It's actually in its own way uh, a a form of bizarre entertainment and diversion for me. I think of all the problems Chicago has, the world has, our country has with this uh, lunatic in charge of the White House. The, The budget games that the powers that be in Chicago play to keep us in the dark and to keep us clueless. That's a fun, it's sort of like a relatively benign uh, source of entertainment for me uh, when I consider the pending apocalyptic doom of the world today. But so before we get to all that, breaking news on the Maya Ben front, and Maya, I think you should be the one who breaks the news since you've been the one cutting the deals behind the scenes a certain deals and I'm, I'm, I'm the irons are in the fire they're not and the knives are getting sharpened first tuesdays is coming back in october yay Woo! for our teachers yay exactly. for our teachers <laughs> first, the triumphant return of first uh, of the of the of the of the pandemic season uh we haven't had a show since march and um, we're really excited. We have, we're planning, trying to plan something really amazing for all of you. And uh, first Tuesday in October, it's gonna be online. Uh, we're collaborating with The Hideout as always. So the tickets will go to benefit The Hideout. That's also obviously facing a really difficult time right now being closed as a venue. Uh, and we are, uh, yeah, the first Tuesday of October is gonna be October 6th. It'll be uh, online. Uh, We'll have more information for you guys about how to buy your tickets and um, how to tune in to watch the show. And we're hopefully going to have an an amazing guest uh, to discuss politics and and race in Chicago ahead of the uh, ahead of the November election. Yeah, there's a guess, and uh, I've been sworn to secrecy because we have not uh, dotted all the I's and crossed the T's, to put it mildly, but we're shooting for the top with this person. I'm a huge fan of her. I was extolling this person's virtues all last week. 
and talking about a certain book that has really let's not give anything more all right okay all right Ben. we've gotten we have a lot of eyes to eyes to dot and t's to cross yes all right but anyway i just wanted to get the word out first tuesday uh returning at least virtually and i look forward to the day when first tuesday can return as first tuesday on this uh hideout stage uh with sitting next to maya having a lot of fun talking all right we're going to get into um uh, your story, your excellent story about the Chicago Public Schools and what happened uh, when uh, you sought some basic information. Basic information. We're not talking about like how to make an A-bomb type information, okay? Some, so what, basic, basic, lead us from A to Z on this one, Maya. Yeah, so basically back in June, the school district had a meeting that was publicly broadcast uh, in which they took a vote on whether or not to immediately end the school resource officer program. This is the, the basically like what puts cops in 72 district high schools. So in the context of the board preparing to take that vote, the CPS uh, officials did a presentation during that June board meeting in which they publicized the results of a survey that they had conducted in May and in early June, uh, trying to get teachers, students, parents, administrators, staff, community members' opinions about the school resource officer program. Mm -hmm. And they threw up some slides on their presentation during the meeting that showed that uh, they had 3,300 students who had answered this survey the vast majority of their responses were from students and that the vast majority of the students had a positive view of the school resource officer program. So I'm sitting there watching the zoom meeting and I think to myself, this, this seems strange. Uh, there is a lot of protests happening right now in the city of Chicago. A lot of them led by CPS students. There's a lot of conversations about how, this program has been harmful to the overall learning environment in the schools that exist, that it functions to criminalize black, uh, black young men in particular, that uh, the, pro the program, I mean, the reader has been reporting about how there's been little to no oversight over the cops in schools since like 2017. And there's really not much transparency about the program. It's not clear, you know, what, how the officers that are in these schools are selected, what qualifications they have, blah, blah, blah. There's been instances of um, officers, uh, there being misconduct complaints about officers in these schools. So when I saw that uh, presentation and I saw that they, they had this slide showing that, you know, most students have a positive view of the, of the program, I thought, you know what, let me just, let me just, let me just file a FOIA request and get this raw data from the survey to see, you know, how how is it? Like, was there anything in the way that they did the survey that created these results? It just seemed like kind of hard to believe. So I filed my FOIA request the day after the meeting, pretty basic request. I just simply asked them, well, first I asked them a series of questions about the survey and they answered, but not in much details. So then I asked, okay, let me just, I filed the FOIA, I asked for the, the raw data from the survey, and I had done a little bit of research before this, and I found out that they used a platform called Survey Gizmo, which is sort of like 
SurveyMonkey or Google surveys or whatever. It's like an online uh, software that allows you to build the survey you want. And then once people take it, it's very easy to download the data into an Excel spreadsheet and sort of analyze your results. So I knew that it would be very easy for them to give me what I had asked for. So I filed a request. Now, for those of you familiar with FOIA, uh, the government agency has five business days to respond, and they can also ask for an extension of five additional business days if for whatever reason they need more time or if the records are hard to put together or whatever. So I got there, I got the immediately, I got their, the, the extension request. So I knew that I wouldn't be hearing back from them for another 10 business days. Well, hold on, Maya, one quick question before yeah. you go further. Uh, and this is my favorite question to ask. Uh, FOIA stands for Freedom of Information Act requests. Yeah. So it's a state law set up uh, to help citizens like yourself, journalists in this case, uh, access information for government from the government that should be public, but isn't. So you have to put in an official request uh, where you're asking them to uh, abide by the state law. And yeah. so my question to you is this, why don't they just turn it over to you? All right, just why don't they, I mean, it's, I can't imagine. It's not like there's any secrets in this information. Why don't they just, oh, bye, you want this information? Here you go. Why don't they just yeah. do that? So whenever they have even the slightest ability to claim that some government, some whatever records they have might contain sensitive student information, they will assert their the, 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 the protecting students' privacy as a reason for not handing over the information. Now, they had sent me a blank version of the survey. They sent me the questions. And the questions, like they didn't collect anybody's names. They didn't collect uh, any identifying information except for whether the person that was taking the survey was a student, a parent, blah, 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 what school community they were a part of. And then they asked like gender, race. They also asked sexual orientation, uh, which uh, was, I don't know why they were collecting that particular information. And they asked people if they or anybody in their family had involvement in the criminal justice system. So back to my story. So basically, they ten, the 10 business days that they, that they have to get back to me have passed. And the next response I get from them is that, oh, uh, your request is unduly burdensome because it's going to require us to go through thousands and thousands of survey responses in order to redact and edit out any personal information, anything that could identify a student. So please narrow your request. So I went ahead and narrowed my request. I asked them to only give me information that related to the role the person played at the school, whether they were student, parent, teacher, whatever, the school that, 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 that they identified as their school, and also just uh, the the race, not even the gender. So I just asked for for the race. Oh, and also the, if they were students, what grade they were in. So uh, then I just never heard anything back. Now keep in mind, now we're at the end of July. The all summer long, uh, after the board had not voted to immediately terminate the school resource officer program, they left it up to the local school councils of all of the 72 schools that have the program to decide whether or not they want to continue this. 
By all accounts, this was the first time the local school councils were being asked to make a major policy decision about that, that, you know, of a policy that affected the district, that affects thousands and thousands of students. Many of these local school councils don't even meet regularly. They didn't have a quorum when they were taking these votes. They weren't, they, by all accounts, they really weren't very well prepared to assess this issue and to take an informed vote. But the results from CPS's survey were, were one of the things that would be provided to them, you know, to help them make their decision. So anyway, we're at the end of July. School district, the time is ticking because the, the, in August, at the end of August, they're supposed to have a meeting to vote about whether or not to continue the cops in schools program for next school year, for whenever it is that students get back inside school buildings. So, uh, yeah, so they never, so they never responded to my narrowed request. And that's when uh, I decided to sue them. <laughs> which is a step that you are allowed to take uh you you know if you if you get if you essentially get denied uh or improperly denied uh some kind of public records so i connected with our friends at lovey and lovey matt topic over there who's an expert on foil litigation and uh we filed a complaint against them in um in the circuit court of cook county and within a week of us filing the lawsuit they produced the data <laughs> So I know for a fact, because I had talked to the company that created the soft software for the survey, that it took, it would, it would have taken two minutes for them to download what I had asked for. And then maybe a couple of hours of someone making sure that there was nothing in the comment sections of these questions that could have revealed student information. But basically um, the whole thing within a week, I had the data. So we know it was easy to provide we know it was doable. It wasn't unduly burdensome. And in my opinion, they did not want to release this data because it wasn't going to be helpful for them to, for the vote that was coming up with the board at the end of August. It, was, it, didn't, it did not uh, show that the district had done really due diligence to make sure to understand the program from all students' perspectives. Because as I, when I was doing the data analysis, as I learned, the like 10 schools, there's 72 schools in the program, 10 school students from 10 schools were responsible for like 50% of the survey responses. Mm -hmm. And most of those schools were white selective enrollment, North side schools, uh, or anyway, ones that weren't majority black. And there were like 18 schools, some of the poorest schools in the, in the city, uh, ones with over 95% uh, population of black students where they had like 10 or fewer responses from students at those schools. And those are the students that are most adversely affected by, you know, criminalizations within the schools. So, you know, uh, obviously this information didn't necessarily make any particular difference. The, 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 the board vote still pretty much broke down the way it had the first time they voted in June. Uh, but I thought that it was a pretty, um, you know, pretty desperate attempt by the school district to sit on this information that ended up just costing more taxpayer money because now, you know, they're going to have to pay Lowy and Lovey for as part of the settlement agreement because they, they were in the wrong. We're now settling the lawsuit and they're going to have to pay attorney's fees to the, to the lawyers that represented the reader and all this. So... Yeah, I um, 
have several reactions. Uh, my first goes back to the first point I made. Um, that knee-jerk response by the powers that be the Board of Education, this is not new uh, with this particular administration, the Lori Lightfoot administration and the Janice Jackson administration. This is like a knee-jerk response, Maya, that I, I could tell you firsthand I've been dealing with for many years. Just like that knee-jerk, we're not going to give it to you. We're not going to give it to you. And it, it's and it's like the first question I said. I, I'm I'm listening to the response they gave to you. They withheld the information to in order. To, they said to protect the identity identity of students. So they always like pick this benevolent the reason. Was premised the survey was premised on it being anonymous. So when people were taking it, they were under the impression that it was their identity couldn't be revealed. Right. So it was even paradoxical that they would say that they Thank needed you. to edit something about the answers to protect people's identity. You, you took the words literally right out of my mouth. They were protecting something that didn't exist. You know, like the identities of students that was already concealed. And this is an old game. And I know like when you're in the, involved in a process like this, Maya, you can get really fired up. I know I get fired up when I was dealing with these bureaucrats and these lawyers. And uh, But it's like they put this wall in front of you. And they just say, we, you can run into that wall all you want. And we're just going to keep that wall there until you get tired of bashing your head against it. And then we will have been victorious in keeping you from knowing how your government works. And it just feeds such cynicism. And I remember, I think it was the issue had to do, this goes way back, uh, Maya, back to the early days of Rahm, when he was running the Board of Education. There was an issue about, I want to say the longer school day. And they claim to have done a survey, the Board of Education, they claim to have done a survey of um, parents regarding the longer school day. And some citizen asked for the results and they wouldn't give them. They stonewalled them. I wrote several articles about it. And uh, it's just an old game and it feeds such cynicism. And I, I'm going to go bigger with it. I'll say right now, Donald Trump um, has demonized the media, has demonized, uh, you know, like the, the dark state. And uh, he has successfully exploited the cynicism people have toward government and, and toward journalists, etc. And I'm just saying... When you see these trivial resistance that they throw to somebody like you, who's just seeing some basic information, it under it helps Donald the Donald Trumps of the world. Do you follow what I'm saying? It just like feeds people's just notion that government isn't looking out for them, that government is guarding and protecting and not telling the truth. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, if you think that's bad, uh, wait till you hear about the issues I'm having getting with a FOIA of a police report that was for a non-criminal incident that was just, it's like a one page basically that happened on July 30th. So just a month ago, uh, I have not been able to, I have had someone from CPD's communications folks their media relations people actually read to me what's in this report. I filed a FOIA on August 11th. I still haven't heard anything back. And 
it's something that I literally know would be so easy to just like pull off their computer system and give to me. But I have a feeling that because of the nature of the incident, I don't know if they don't want to release it or what the deal is, but it's very likely it's going to have to be another lawsuit. Again, like more taxpayer dollars that are going to be spent to pay the lawyers for this, for something that should be a matter of public record. On top of that, it's even more bizarre because it's a police report of like, it's, it's a, it's, it's not even an issue of like, uh, protecting someone's privacy or an ongoing investigation or whatever. It is literally by its definition, a public record. And whenever you ask them anything about police reports, they always say file a FOIA. And, you know, in my experience, I've actually had like mostly pretty good luck with, uh, with the police department when it comes to FOIA. I know people have a lot of nightmare stories, but I, until this, until this incident have never had, uh, an issue with them, uh, really messing things up and like me having to go to court to get things from them. But now it's just so ridiculous because this is like one piece of paper. We're not even talking about like, Oh, like records of police torture from the 1980s, you know, like hidden in a basement on paper somewhere. This is like on their computer system right now. It would take five seconds to just like download the PDF and send me the email, but they've blown all their deadlines for providing me this document. And yeah, I mean, so in your opinion, why the resistance to a, they read you supposedly what's on the paper. So, I mean, I'm, I'm, I am always hesitant to ascribe some kind of intention to these kinds of things, because I feel like when you have a giant bureaucracy, the most likely explanation is always going to be that someone is overlooking something that it's just plain run of the mill incompetence or you know, somebody's, it's like something got missed. Some Somebody missed something. Uh, like it's, it's a basic p- kind of mistake. Um, but the, if, if this, if it's not that, if they really are trying to keep this out of my hands, which again, is like a very stupid thing to do when it comes to a FOIA, because like you can get this stuff. You can like, you, you know, people go to court and they get the thing and I know the record exists. So I will get this record. Um, I mean, the only thing I can think of is that this police report describes an incident and it, it doesn't describe this incident the way it actually happened. Ah. And I have, and I have, uh, video evidence and I actually personally witnessed this incident. So I have like, there's like half a dozen people who saw this thing go down and it involved some uh, very improper conduct by some ex-cops. And uh, the real cops came, they made a report. The report is not reflective of reality. And uh, the only thing I can think of is that, because I'm asking questions about why the report hasn't refle- didn't reflect reality, the spokespeople are telling me that until I have the actual report in my hand, until I get it through the FOIA, they're not going to answer any questions about it. Which is another mind-bending thing because it's like, okay, your colleague read the report to me. I'm asking questions about the report. You're not going to answer them because I don't have the report in front of me? Okay, so now I have to do this whole dog and pony show of, of getting the report, and and it's just, it's just crickets. So I don't know. 
I, I wow, that's gonna be a great story. Uh, you've, you've shielded the details to protect your story. It's gonna be a hell of a story, and uh, it's you're gonna to have to bring in that lawyer, Matt, yeah. to file the suit. Taxpayers and, are paying Matt Topic's salary because our government agencies are too preoccupied with keeping public records away from public eyes. Yeah, and and again, I'll I'll the the biggest example of this. Uh, is of course the Laquan McDonald uh, video that Mayor Rahm yeah. concealed, and I, I we've talked about this on the show uh, several times um, as we just review where we are as a city and as a country in terms of the issue of police relations with Black communities and what governments are doing about it, and it is just so obvious to me. I just had a, a long co- involved conversation on this topic. Um, I was somebody uh, who was in Kenosha watching the civil unrest in Kenosha. It just seems to me that even though this has been an age-old problem in our country going back years and years, it's only been relatively recently that we've confronted the evidence. And in Chicago, really everything has changed since Laquan McDonald video uh, was released, which completely, to your point, contradicted the official stand uh, that the city had. And just think about it. Think about the fight that Mayor Rahm put up to avoid having to release that video. And if that he hadn't lost, it was a FOIA case. And you know this as well as I do. It was a FOIA case of Judge Wilding. I think it was actually Matt Topic who did the who was the lawyer on that. I case. think it was. They definitely did worked with Lovey and Lovey on it. Yes. And just think, I don't even know if if that case if that judge had ruled against Matt Topic's client and that video had been concealed, I don't I don't think we'd be where we are right now. Just think, I'm, Mayor Ron may still be mayor of the city of Chicago. Yeah, totally. So, really, I mean, the Freedom of Information Act is like one of these things that truly this country is for all the conversations about the sort of, you know, guardrails of our democracy and the way that institutions here, you know, need to properly function to to protect the kind of the, the order of things. You know, for all the comparisons of, uh, you know, of this country slipping into autocracy the way that so many others around the world uh, slip into periodically or cyclically or inevitably, uh, the fact that, that something like the Freedom of Information Act on a federal level and at the state level, the fact that we have access to document, government documents is probably one of the most like special things about American government and society. And it's truly, it's, it's truly a, like a, a, a rare thing, and especially about how easy it is to use the Freedom of Information Act. I mean, you could argue that you shouldn't have to even use any kind of special law and make special requests to get any public documents. But the truth of the matter is the fact that we even have it is like, it's, it's hugely important. And, um, you know, it definitely says something about the particular types of people that are running a particular unit of government uh, when they don't respond to these requests, when they try to, you know, when they when they try to 
stonewall and sit on these documents and sit on these videos, etc. But at the end of the day, like, I don't know, you can still, you can still kind of exercise your rights, take your case to court and, you know, get what you're asking for. It's a hassle. It discourages most people. It definitely protects the institution and the bad actors because most people are not going to go to court. Most people don't know how to file a FOIA request to begin with. But, you know, I still feel like it's a pretty big deal that these records are gettable in this country, you know? So I don't know what the point of that spiel was. Only no, I know what the point of the spiel was. <laughs> I took notes on that spiel. It was a good riff. The point of that spiel is we have a principle of transparency. that's like a, a bedrock of democracy. And it still and, works. It actually, it actually works. Yes, but if we don't, it only works if people hold, fi- go through the, the bureaucratic hell of making it work where you appeal to a judge. Uh, the knee-jerk response of people when they take power is to deny access to information. Yeah. I've seen that happen with every single mayor. And the last mayor, whose name I momentarily forgot, oh yeah, it was Rahm, uh, he came into office promising to be the most transparent mayor of all time. You talk about feeding cynicism, that dude slammed the door shut on so many just basic requests for information. Uh, and Lori Lightfoot uh, also promised to be a transparent mayor. Uh, and they, as candidates, they say they how much they agree with the things that you are articulating, Maya. And then once in office, boom, slam the door shut on it. They they want to limit access. But I'll tell you what. Here's 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 how I can conclude my spiel, which is that this is why you have to support your local journalists and your your local journalism institutions. Because you do not have time to be filing these requests and fighting the agencies and going to court. This is what journalists are there to do. And that's why there needs to be more of us. And that's why you should read and support the reader. Yes. Wow. I got to tell you, uh, Lisa Solomon and Tracy Bain would be so proud of that. what you just said there support the reader absolutely and the the good work that maya is doing by the way maya this gets the issue of transparency we've already discussed it before you came on the show uh you mentioned that you were sort of following it from afar your thoughts on the uh the budget the chicago's budget mayor Lori lightfoot promises uh, wrapped in lies (laughs) all right well i just i don't know i don't remember who said this but a budget is a promise wrapped in lies yeah so, uh, you know, it all, this is just the beginning of the process. Uh, and, uh, it's, I don't know, it's pretty, it's pretty, it's pretty crazy though about, I mean, the, the immediate reaction is just how we're going to have to, we're going to, we're going to be dealing with austerity in the city. We're going to be dealing with a shortfall in appropriations from the federal and state governments. we, you know, there's there's going to be cuts and layoffs, but like, police are still getting 1.7 billion dollars. Yeah, there will not. Uh, I think we could fairly safely predict that uh, there will not be cuts uh, in the police. You know, we've not had the conversation about uh, the unfolding uh, defund the police uh, movement, which uh, I don't think you and I have had a conversation about this, Maya, and uh, maybe you did and I forgot. I've had so many conversations. Uh, but uh, are you surprised by Lori Lightfoot's uh, resistance 
uh, to defund the police overtures? No. Okay. Why would I be surprised? Well, she came to the hideout and said that she was not the candidate. Uh, we were just talking about this she's as well. She's not a cop? Yeah, she's not a cop. Uh, <laughs> Maya warned us. But I just hmm. want to say this about Maya. No, I didn't warn you. People who know her record warned you. People who, de- who, who dealt with her directly as the head of the police board warned you. Yeah, that There's okay, they warned us too. Maya uh, as well. Her work directly warned and, you. No, I'm not surprised. Okay, and I just How want to say this right now. She's going to get reelected if she's going to get behind defunding the police. You think she doesn't want to win every ward again? With 75. Hang on to those to those uh, kind of moderate and right wing leaning white southwest northwest side areas of the city. And she's not she's not gonna get behind and get define the police message. No way. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. Yeah, that's her way of saying, hey Maya. This blue light. Uh anyway, uh, Maya did warn us, uh, I think of several sh- uh, several occasions, but she was perhaps passing on a warning she picked up from others, but she, uh, she, she would not reveal in any way who she voted for because she's that kind of journalist. All right, uh, Maya, before uh, I let you uh, walk out the door, uh, I have to ask you, did you get any uh, opportunity to watch any of the Republican convention last week? Yes. And your general thoughts? It was a better show than the Democratic convention. I'll tell you that much. Those people know how to put on a show. Bleak, but it was a better show. And unfortunately, a lot of people are just going to go with the best show in town. Mm. What do you mean by better show? That's interesting. What do you mean by that? I mean, did you watch both of them? Uh, I watched huge chunks of each, yes. You got... You got Republicans for Biden, old, crusty, uncharismatic white dudes going up against like coked out Kimberly Guilfoyle. Like, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's, it's, it's I, I don't know anything about anyone's drug use. I'm just saying that, that, that it was a, it was, a, it, it was the kind of ethos of, 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 of a big speech at the end of a big party with a lot of cocaine. That's how I imagined. That was the vibe. That was the energy to me. Uh, uh, but yes, and uh, Maya is speaking metaphorically right yeah. now. She's not speaking literally saying that anybody took cocaine. She's speaking metaphorically. I'm Go speaking ahead. speaking metaphorically. You've got, yeah, you've got PBS versus Lenny Riefenstahl. You know what I mean? Like, yes. You, you, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I don't understand why the Democrats couldn't put on a better show. Well, in general, this gets back uh, to the notion that the Democrats think, particularly in the Biden Democrats, think that the way to win is to appeal uh, to the good graces uh, that exist in everybody and our desire to have bipartisan governor uh, relations and bipartisan government. Uh, And that is a theory that (laughs) I've never seen successful when adopted to electoral strategy, Maya. I got to tell you that. Uh, But that is 
That's what they, now I'm even more depressed than I was when I began the show. Let's close by you saying something uplifting uh, and that will turn my day around and make me feel good about life. First Tuesday is coming back next month, baby. Yay for our teachers. Yay for our teachers. (laughs) Woo. Uh, And I can't wait. uh, If I'm just going to say one more time, if Maya's strategy is successful, we're going to have one hell of a guest. But you know what? We're going to have one hell of a guest, even if this strategy is not successful. Whatever happens, we're going to have one hell of a guest, maybe two hells of a guest. (laughs) And you guys got a date set, right? Yep. We got it's going to be Tuesday, October 6th, and we will be updating you guys as, as we get closer about all the details in terms of how the live stream will work, um, how you'll be able to get tickets, all that fun stuff. Follow First Tuesdays on Facebook and social media, too. And you can get those details. Right. Very good. Thank you, Dennis. All right, Maya, take care. Stay safe. Stay sound. We'll talk to you soon, all right? All right. Bye, you guys. Uh, Dennis, you got any updates for us before we head out that door? Absolutely, I do. Once again, find First Tuesday on social media for those updates. I hope you guys get a billion viewers. Yes, that's billion with a B. All right, let's do some Uh, updates. Yes, okay. (laughs) All right, some updates here. Uh, Donald Trump has arrived in Kenosha, Wisconsin. He arrived uh, shortly uh, before we started the program. Ben, I'm not sure if you're aware, but Trump arrived with Attorney General William Barr, your buddy. Oh, God. What's, what's Barr going to do for him? I like don't know. Look at documents? What the hell is Barr going there for? I don't know. Uh, wipe him down. With, he, has, he has a napkin with him. I don't know. But uh, William Barr uh, has arrived in Kenosha with Donald Trump. Oh, Joe Biden has something to say about that. Come on, man. All right. <laughs> he's, he's running. Hey, man, stop making fun of Biden. Right? I'm not making fun of him. <laughs> It was him weighing in. Come on, man. Oh, yeah. Okay. Come on, man. All right. Uh, let's Joey B. I'm voting for him. Let's see here. After, uh, yeah. By the way, this comes from TheGuardian.com. Shout out to them. Thank you so much. Uh, it says here, after arriving in Kenosha, Trump surveyed the property that had been damaged amid recent protests over the police shooting of Jacob Blake. So that went on. And uh, let's see here. Oh. So what, he just, he just walked. Is he out of the town now or he don't, doesn't say? Yeah, he's out on the town. He's walking around. Come on, man. Come on, man. Keep up. All oh, right. So No, no. I mean, is he is he still in Kenosha or is he left or it well, doesn't say I'll give you these updates here. The ones that I have. Uh, let's see Got here. It. Trump is now uh, looks like he was about 43 minutes ago. He held a roundtable on Wisconsin community safety in Kenosha amid ongoing protest over uh, the police shooting of Jacob Blake. The president opened the roundtable by asking, quote, Where's my Reince? That was once a reference to Trump's first White House chief of staff, Reince Priebus, who is from Wisconsin. Where's my Reince? He said. Uh, Trump said his visit today was meant to show support for the people of Kenosha and the people of Wisconsin. Trump said, quote, the state of Wisconsin has been very good to me. All right. Moving on here. Uh, Trump then praised the, quote, great people who serve as law enforcement officers, saying, quote, I'm not doing the Trump voice anymore. He just says we're all safe and we're safe because of law enforcement. Uh, and we honor you. Uh, the president then called on Americans to, quote, condemn the dangerous anti-police rhetoric whenever it arises. Ben, your thoughts there? 
Well, I guess I don't know if Jacob uh, Blake would agree with Donald Trump's uh, pronouncement there. Uh, but so far for Donald Trump, the rhetoric is that you just quoted is relatively mild. I thought he was going to come in strong uh, for Kyle Rittenhouse. I thought he was going to go Brian Urlacher on us. Uh, and so far he's held back. I still predict ultimately uh, he will be calling uh, Rittenhouse a patriot and at least tweeting out uh, overtures to have him released uh, from jail and with charges not filed against him. But uh, so far he seems to be holding back from that and you know the week is early it's tuesday so we got time uh and finally here this is about nine minutes ago uh officials in wisconsin continue to stress that president trump is not telling the truth when he says law enforcement in kenosha has been federalized governor evers deployed wisconsin national guard troops and got national guard troops from other states so yeah, all right. We're going to have Eddie Armstrong coming on to talk about many of these issues uh, at a, in about an hour or so. We'll drop that at 7. Monroe Anderson will be here tomorrow. Uh, Mark Arena will be here. He's the Washington Post correspondent uh, who did some of the uh, – went up to Kenosha. and was in Kenosha last week uh, reporting firsthand on what he saw. So we'll be talking about uh, a lot of Kenosha news in the next 24 hours, too. And we want to remind everybody to follow us on social media at Benny J Show, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J Show. If you've yet to, go do it. Send us a like, share, review, whatever you want to do. Uh, also, send us an email if you'd like. BennyJShow at gmail.com. B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J show at gmail.com. I get those messages. We'll read them. I'll forward them to Ben. He'll read them. We may comment on them. Who knows? And you can call the Ben Jarofsky Show. That's correct. You can call us. Uh, what's the number? 708-658-4788. That number again, 708-658-4788. We're not going to answer it. We're not going to hello, Ben Jarofsky Show. Now you just leave us a voicemail, and uh, we'll. there's a good chance we'll play your voicemail if you're not crazy or uh, if you, know, you watch your mouth. Oh, wait, what's that, Joe Biden? Come on, man. Okay. Okay, all right. Oh, come oh, on. All right. My goodness. Oh, and by the way, you were talking about Rahm Emanuel earlier. He has something to say. Take a chill pill, man. Chill out, uh, dude. Yeah. Uh, D, why don't you promote Carlos Ramirez Rosa interview we did this weekend? Really strong stuff. The uh, David Ferris interview that was down. Ramana Hussein. A lot of good stuff uh, that we dropped this weekend. Well, I think you just did it, pal. Both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites. And wherever else you download your favorite podcast and that interview we had with Troy LaRavier was some kind of something. Go download that as well. Both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites and wherever else you download your favorite podcasts. I'm looking at you, live stream audience. Go download those shows as well. And yeah, we... We got a bonus interview coming up tonight. It's going to be posted at 7 o'clock, so be on the lookout for that as well. I mean, I've said it like four times, but I'll say it again. Both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites and wherever else. Are you clipping your fingernails right now? No, I'm writing this notes down oh. for an interview. <laughs> okay, and wherever else you download your favorite podcasts. All right, uh, I want to thank Maya once again. Outstanding job she did. I also want to thank the man, the myth, the legend, the pride and joy of Alton, Illinois, without whom the show would be possible. And as Maya will tell you, as Eddie Armstrong will tell you, and as Donald Trump, yes, as Donald Trump himself will tell you, back home at Alton, they call him Dennis. That's it. They call him Dennis. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. Take a chill pill, man. I won't just turn the car around. I'm going to shut it off. 
Ah, man. 